a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And excuse our mess. Uh, I'm in the church building, and we're having a lot of work done. Uh, Painting, new flooring for the sanctuary. We've been out of our sanctuary for almost two years. It started with COVID, and we were looking for different places. And uh, we're moving back in on November 6th, and so we've had a ton of crews out here, volunteers, contractors, uh, to really get this place looking good, make it a suitable place for corporate worship once again. So if you hear any uh, banging, yelling, screaming, sawing, or whatever, uh, that's what that is. Uh, I promise it's not not a torture house or anything. Uh, We are super, super excited to have Dr. Matthew Barrett back on the podcast with us. If you don't know, uh, Dr. Barrett is uh, a... Associate Professor of Christian Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of books. You might have heard of some of them, like Simply Trinity. Fantastic book, important book that everybody should get. And um, you know what? You uh, you started Credo Magazine. You're an editor there, and you host the Credo uh, Podcast. Is that right? That's right. And actually, uh, I mean, the Credo Podcast has been so fun. Uh, I mean, who gets to just sit down and talk theologian to theologian. And uh, so that's been fun. And uh, recently, too, I, I, I have to mention this, we've started the Center for Classical Theology. is Ooh. is a bit of a academic arm of Credo. And uh, Crossway Publishing is uh, partner partnering with us to, to publish a um, – we're going to have an annual lecture, and they're going to publish it as a, a book So awesome. uh, each year. So I'm very I'm I could not be more excited about that. Awesome! I heard the Vatican signed off on this as well because obviously <laughs> this is the road to Rome. You're obviously going cath full Catholic. Um, Joe, I can always count on you to. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I have to say dumb things because other people say silly things, uh, and I just thought I'd jump on the bandwagon. Uh, no, I, I'm so grateful for the theology that you teach. It is richly biblical, and uh, what, what I like is that you, you aim at the experiential as well. Um, you know, God is meant to be known, right? Not just known about. And so uh, I, I love it. And uh, I continue, listen, I'm 50, and uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning as a theologian. I'm still growing as a theologian. And uh, I've been so grateful for uh, the retrieval and the emphasis on classical theism. It's been, it's been a, a, a great help to me personally. So uh, a great- Well, that's so encouraging. Everything. Yeah, no, that, that is so encouraging, Joe, to hear that. And that's, that's true of us all. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I love about theology is, and I, I tell my students this, don't think you graduate and it's over and you've mastered it all. Right. Um, it's it's a bit like sanctification. Mm. God is constantly refining our knowledge of him uh, in Christ. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How are things at the seminary? You know, things are great. Uh, things have never been better at the seminary. We just uh, celebrated actually uh, 10 years since uh, Jason Allen became president, and you know you're familiar with the whole for the church yep. um, um, ministry there, and uh, it's been ten, it's been a decade, which is hard to believe. Yeah, uh, but it's gone by so fast. Um, I've loved being part of it. I've been part of it now. I'm, this is going on my sixth year uh, at Midwestern, 
And I'm just so thankful to God uh, that he brought me there. And uh, I'm just, in one sense, I, yeah, I'm teaching systematic theology, um, historical theology, philosophy, etc. But in one sense, I'm just sitting back and just watching, um, loving seeing, you know, student after student learn and uh, go into ministry or go into teach schools, uh, become prof- professors themselves. So for me, it's a, it's a, that's very rewarding mm-hmm. uh, in, in countless ways. Well, one of the things that I, I, I t- we all tend to take note of are the students that are coming out of seminaries, you know, because seminaries, listen, different kinds of people come out of various seminaries, but you know, when I, the, the Dallas seminary grads that I've met, they, they are a certain way and, and it's a compliment. I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking on them at all. Um, I've met some very sharp people coming out of, out of, out of Dallas, but each seminary kind of has its own vibe, its own culture, and it tends to produce yeah. people with certain emphases and uh, some not so great, you know, uh, and some really <laughs> wonderful. And the people that I've met who have come out of the MDiv program, people that I've met who've got their PhDs there, uh, wonderful people who really love the Lord, love the church and, uh, uh, love the truth. They're approachable, humble, godly, earnest. Um, that's always a, something that I look at, and I'm I'm very encouraged by what's coming out of Midwestern. L- love what's going on there. Well, Joe, we might just have to bring you back and uh, say, "Hey, let's get let's get Joe in the classroom here." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't think I'm seminary uh, material. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think they, they they usually use me for stuff. But um, but I, I definitely want to pl- come in and visit and and I haven't I still haven't seen the Spurgeon Center, so I need to do that. Um, oh. But so listen, we wanted to bring you on to talk about systematic mm-hmm. theology, uh, something that you're obviously passionate about, very invested in, something that you teach. Um, I love systematic theology, and when I became a Christian, I, uh, I mean, I didn't. When I became a Christian, I didn't know the Bible at all. I didn't go to church growing up ever. So I was converted. I'd been to church three times. I just started reading the Bible, and then I began reading it over and over again. And uh, so I started picking up a book here and there. I got a John MacArthur book, and it was actually really helpful for me. And uh, the first systematic theology that I grabbed happened to be Charles Hodge three volumes from a Christian okay. bookstore. They actually had Hodge in a Christian <laughs> bookstore. It was crazy. This would have been 91. And uh, it's a green three volume. You know, I think it's Baker. I can't remember who the publisher yeah. was. And uh, I started reading that thing. And it unlocked so much for me that, uh, and really turned me on to systematic theology. So I've, yeah. I've loved it ever since because I needed, I needed some way of getting my head and heart around the Bible with no background or training, right? So I needed something yeah. to help me figure, begin to figure things out and, and connect those dots. So I love systematic theology and I know you do as well. In fact, I mean, you, you're working on a systematic theology, right? I am. Not a secret. Or not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things that as a theologian, you think, uh, I'd love to do that one day, but it's it's a scary thought because, yeah. like you said, I mean it's it's the one of the biggest undertakings to to try to put everything together. Um, and Baker Academic came; uh, they approached me and said, "Hey, we really want you to write this a uh, systematic theology." Uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, listeners out there are aware of uh, Millard Erickson's systematic theology which has been going for a very long time and uh, has sold really well. Uh, like you said, you know, every systematic 
you know, you mentioned how every school and graduates are different. That's very true of every systematic theology right. as well, both in terms of the feel of it, the style of the content, of course, the theology itself. And so uh, I'm really excited to, to I've already started my research and writing. I, it will take me uh, some time. It's not just one of those books you write uh, in a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it will take some time. Uh, but but I don't want to take too long because I do think it's timely in a sense. I think that there are Christians, pastors, professors out there that are, are looking. Um, they've tried out systematic theologies in the past couple of decades, and they're still looking for something. Uh, and that's where I, I want to I step into that very humbly and say, um, here's here's how I want to teach my Master of Divinity students. So it will be a systematic theology that is for uh, master students. And then, Lord willing, the plan is to write um, a, a, probably a smaller one that will be for college students. Uh, it, and that one will be especially accessible, mm. given the average college student. And then... Um, you know, long term, the idea is uh, I, I've got a doctrine of God contracted with Baker Academic as well. That'll probably be at a higher level, more like to scratch the itch of of the PhD student. Right, right. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled about it, and uh, honestly, one of the ways I'm approaching it is as a team. And so there are a lot of uh, theologians I greatly respect out there. And I'm asking them to come along with me uh, in this writing pilgrimage. And uh, they've been so uh, gracious with their time to say, yeah, I'll, I'll read that part. I'll read that section. I'll read that chapter and give you some critical feedback. That's great. So I'm hoping that by the time I finish it, uh, yes, you know, I'm, my, my name goes on the cover, I suppose, but Ultimately, it's the fruit of much feedback and collaboration mm. with other theologians that I'm sure both of us um, really respect and love. You know how hard it is for me to not drop the worst names that uh, that would be partnering <laughs> with you. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't done that. I'm not going to do it. You're a professor at a seminary. I don't want to make you make it awkward for but boy. If it was anybody else, I'd be like, oh, so like this guy and this guy. And it would be really obviously not the people that you would want working with you. I'm not going to do that. Listen, um, I want to talk about Sistheo, what it is, what separates it yeah. from other forms of, or approaches to theology and, you know, uh, why it seemed to sort of a lot of seminaries were pushing back against it. Like as I know in the nineties and, and they, they started to push back against this in academic circles. A lot of seminaries were dropping systematic theology. Um, yeah. And so I want to talk about some of that, but you know, we we're, we're getting a, a Baptist here writing a systematic theology and that's really good because we don't have much what we got. A.H. Strong. Um, uh, we have Erickson, uh, I guess Grudem. Uh, so why are those not, how do I say this? I'm trying to be charitable here. <laughs> Where do those volumes not measure up to yeah. what you would like to see in a, in a systematic theology from a, a credo Baptist perspective? Yeah. Uh, goodness. Where do we start? <clears throat> I think the first thing I want to say, Joe, is that when we look at how systematic theology has been done over the last 40 years, 
not everywhere, but I'm talking about in that vein that you just mentioned, right? Uh, it's, it's a very uh, different approach to systematics than I think from what you find in the history of the church. Now, that may sound surprising. I mean, we're talking about some systematic theologies. You think of Grudem's, for example, that have been bestsellers and have uh, been on the bookshelves of Christians everywhere. And some of it is the actual theology, right? And, and I think that needs to be clear. Um, I think when, when someone like Wayne Grudem is proposing uh, a view of the Trinity uh, that's called EFS, that uh, argues for the functional subordination of the Son within the imminent life of, of the Godhead, I think we have to be very clear here that this is a departure yeah. from historic uh, Nicene Trinitarian theology, and with it, systematic theology. Um, so there's content issues uh, right. that have to be, I think, corrected and addressed. And uh, that's where I think many theologians, many great theologians today are stepping into that gap and trying to supplement and correct and uh, reform so that students of systematic theology see uh, see things for what they are and realize, oh, this is actually, this feels more modern than it does historical and orthodox. So that's the first thing I would say is there is a content issue. But I think if we stop there, we're not actually addressing the real problem because in, the, in systematic theology, and this is how systematic theology works, you don't arrive at certain conclusions by accident. Mm. Oftentimes your method leads you in one direction and not the other. And so that has to be addressed as well. I think just to throw a, a label out there, though sometimes people mean different things by it, I think there has been a steady stream of biblicism uh, and I use that in the negative sense of the word, that has uh, dictated how systematic theology is written, how it's taught, and, and even what conclusions we reach. Now, we I'm sure that's a whole other conversation, but uh, at the very least, there's certain ingredients. And these are this is one of the things I'm going to do in my systematic, is I'm going to address biblicism, uh, lay out certain maybe four or five things that, that define it, and explain why that actually uh, undermines systematic theology itself. But just to, to point out one of them, I think in the contemporary scene, there has been uh, an overfocus on what occurs in the economy, in history, to the extent that we don't actually have a robust category anymore for God in and of himself. Um, and behind this is uh, metaphysics, um, which is extremely important. I know that metaphysics has to do a lot with philosophy, but we all come to the biblical text with a certain metaphysic in the back of our mind that we're operating from, and uh, every systematic the theologian does as well. So part of what that means, I mean, maybe listeners have picked up on this a little bit, is they're saying, why are all these books coming out on the Trinity or God's simplicity, or God's aseity, and so on, immutability, and so on. It's because we're feeling that. Yeah. Um, 
there was a very strong push in the 20th century um, by by some of the, the most um, aggressive modern theologians to historicize God. That, that would be me saying that in a critical sense in response to them, to historicize God. And so I think now evangelicals are realizing well has that has that influ- influenced us to any extent even if you know we're not that extreme and i think the answer has been yeah to one extent or another um so that raises the question well how then should we be approaching the biblical text uh should we actually be paying attention to clues in the text itself that seem to assume a certain understanding of god of himself in order to make sense of something like, say, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So moving away from an, uh, from a, a type of crude biblicism, uh, that's just one example, but, but that speaks volumes as to, yeah, we need a different type of method that will actually lead us to, to more orthodox conclusions in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. I mean, I, when I, so I, I read, I started to read Hodge um, as a young Christian, very young Christian, about a year old in the faith. Um, and then I read Burkhoff and I devoured Burkhoff. It's one volume. So, uh, but I just, I loved it. It was so helpful. And then I began picking up other things. Um, and when Grudem's systematic theology came out, uh, the thing that was really standing out to me besides some of the, some of the theological weirdness that I had issues with. And, and, and some of that is just there are perspectives, right? I mean, I read Erickson, yeah. it's a well laid out systematic theology. I don't like his conclusions. <laughs> I mean, he tends to take like, well, there's a reform view and the Arminian view and I'm in the middle, whatever. Yeah. But um, when I was reading modifications, right? This yeah. is another issue, uh, a constant, there's a constant tendency among evangelicals there's, there's almost this irresistible allure mm-hmm. <laughs> to modify just about everything. Yeah. And I think, I think we've, we're, we've seen by 2022 where that is, it, it tends to lead. And yeah. that I think is another weakness is this allure to, to modification or in the more stronger sense of the word, a revisionism, mm-hmm. and which I, brings us into a whole nother category, but. And I get it. Yeah. Like, you know, some people it's really they're you know, they're they're studying, it's their conscience, but there's also this ugly sort of like um like I remember in in some academic circles, like, oh, that's the traditional view. It's just like so it's just boring. Right. It's just that's just, why would you care about the traditional view? And then there's the publishers who want something different. You know, they want something to sell. Like, what why do we need another you're gonna say the same thing somebody else said? But what stood out to me at the time when I was reading Grudem was I, I kept thinking like, the, and I, at first I couldn't, I didn't know why, but I'm like, there, he doesn't have philosophy. He doesn't have history. Like all the systematic theologies that I've read so far, philosophy, history, like everything is a, yeah. is a part of it. And he's just got his arguments and Bible verses. And that doesn't make it wrong. I mean, uh, right. J.L. Dagg's, you know, manual of theology is just like an exegetical theology. It's just you know, it's it's not a systematic theology. But is that am, am I wrong? See, I don't want to. I don't want to make a, a full on argument about it. But is is that per- perhaps uh, a reflection of a kind of biblicism where there's just no philosophy or history involved in the presentation of systematic theology? Joe, you've you've hit the nail on on the head. Hey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it, it, this is, I would say, one of the main pillars, right? 
And so when you read that type of systematic theology and there's no historical awareness, it's not surprising then that there's little hesitancy to start departing from a historical, maybe even an orthodox understanding of God and Christ. Like eternal generation of the sun. Like eternal generation. What and in I the think, world? And I think we, I mean, there's even areas that we haven't even explored yet. Um, I would say in Christology as well. Uh, why is it that evangelicals seem to flirt with a type of modified or soft uh, canonic Christology? Uh, well, when we have no historical engagement in our systematic theology, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean we're, we will err, but it sure puts us at risk. Yeah, And this is where I think C.S. Lewis, for example, is so wise because Lewis, I mean, many of, of the, your listeners are, are may be familiar with Athanasius's little book on the Incarnation, but Lewis wrote a small preface to it. And he says in that preface, it's not that those in the past didn't make mistakes. They did. But, uh, and it's not that they didn't have blind spots. They certainly did. And we see some of those today, right? So I don't want to give the impression that when we talk about retrieval, that this is just a mere repristination. Like, I don't know anyone who actually believes that. Uh, Lewis is right. They do have blind spots. But Lewis, when he finishes his sentence, he says, but they were typically not our blind spots. Mm. And that's where, in order to do systematic theology, I think, in the right way, we always have to humble ourselves and stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us. And actually, I think, uh, here's the irony of it, that's actually quite biblical as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we when we sit down or when we teach when we sit down to write or when we teach systematic theology, um, the Bible of course is our final authority because it alone is our written inspiration for articles of faith, for example. Um, but uh, contrary to some modern uh, assumptions, we don't we don't shut ourselves in a room, push out what came before us or, or even what's around us as if we read the Bible by ourselves. Yeah. Um, the irony of that, of that type of biblicist assumption is that, um, and they would hate hearing this, but that's actually far more modern uh, than it is ancient or even apostolic. Right. And so this is where, even when I'm teaching my students, you know, just the other day uh, we were looking at uh the doctrine of the Trinity, and we were looking at uh, the inseparable operations, and we looked at a passage like Ephesians 1, and we had a, a very fruitful discussion. But as we're doing that and we're opening our Bible with Paul, we are also reading our Bible with the church. And so, you know, I'm at Midwestern Seminary. Some may have heard that, you know, slogan, we're for the church. Well, if we believe that, if we take that seriously, that means we read the Bible with the church as well. And that that is to our advantage. Uh, I don't if, if I sit down and read the Bible by myself, um, the chances I'm going to <laughs> to uh, err are, are pretty high. But when I'm sitting down and reading the Bible and I can look over my shoulder and say, 
hey, I think Augustine actually thought about this psalm for like 10 years. I'm going, I want, I want his insight. Yeah. Uh, even if I disagree with him at the end of the day, I want to know what he said so that I can be more faithful mm. to the scripture, the scriptural text as well. And so in class, we, you know, uh, we're inviting, you know, Gregory of Nazianzus to, to ask, okay, what do you see in John 5 when Jesus is making this statement? It seems to say something about uh, his eternal relation of origin. And what, what are you seeing in the exegesis here? I think that um, has been missing from systematics, not entirely, of course, but in some of the examples you've mentioned. And I'll just throw one thing out there, Joe, because obviously there's so much here we could talk about. But um, in that spirit of retrieval, um, we don't need to be embarrassed either that uh, we are going to be historically attuned, but also philosophically attuned as well. And again... This is extremely ironic, isn't it? Because uh, sometimes the biblicist thinks, uh, well, that we can't have that. We have to put off. We have to put that off. Uh, we don't want that influencing um, our systematic or even how we're reading the biblical text. But of course, that's not even how the apostles operated. Um, I mean, the the opening of John's gospel, uh, John is using a Greek concept, but of course, he's uh, refining it in right. order to. Uh, take advantage of it for the sake of his Christology. Paul will do something similar in Acts 17. He's going to quote the Greeks to then put forward um, a a more refined understanding and even Christian understanding of participation. In him we live and move and have our being. So all that means uh, it's quite overwhelming, right? Uh, The task of of the systematic theologian is very complicated, but it's supposed to be. And uh, it's supposed to work to our advantage. Mm. Yeah, I was I was thinking that when you have whether whatever their intention is, when they present something like a systematic theology, and there is no philosophy or history, um, what that does is it it feeds a generation of people who think you don't need philosophy or history to do theology. I mean, so regardless of what their intention is, your the byproduct is going to be damage to the church. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is systematic theology? We've got <laughs> yeah. biblical theology, and we got systematic theology. Uh, what what is systematic theology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very difficult question uh, to answer. It, I, I always say, um, you know it when you see it, and you can sense uh, when it doesn't quite feel right. Um, you know, you've given the example of biblical theology. Uh, I love biblical theology. I've even written some books on biblical theology myself. And it's, uh, it's contrary to what some people may say out there. Biblical theology and systematic theology are not at odds with the, right. where they shouldn't yeah. be at odds with one another. They're actually meant to complement each other in, in crucial ways. Um, I, I think I would say this. Um, in systematic theology, we're not simply trying to understand, say, uh, for example, uh, the storyline of scripture across uh, history. And so, so this would be a, an example, right? Because let's just take uh, redemption. I think we, we owe a huge debt to the biblical theologian who's able to carefully and very beautifully parse out how redemption uh, uh, crescendos uh, from Let's say, for example, this would be one type of biblical theology, but from, say, the beginning of the canon 
through to its culmination uh, in the New Testament. Uh, amen to that. But systematic theology, um, of course, uh, is taking notes and paying attention and, and even uh, using that to its advantage in every way. But uh, with, say, the example of redemption, systematic theology is going to do more than that. Uh, systematic theology wants to ask even sometimes different questions. Uh, so yes, we see how redemption is unfolding in history. But why is it that we can call this redemptive history? Uh, well, that that assumes, um, goodness, it assumes a lot, doesn't it? It assumes certain systematic categories are in place. It assumes that uh, there is a God who is the divine author. There's not merely a human author. And it assumes that this God is, is uh, not just the first cause, but this God is providentially at work uh, to govern, to sustain, to work concurrently through human beings to ensure that history uh, actually has a certain final causality to it, uh, uh, an ultimate purpose, that it is progressing to a certain end. And of course, uh, that we see that in redemption through Jesus Christ himself. But then it raises all kinds of questions even at that point. Well, in order for it to be a redemptive history, who must this God be? And so this is where you have wonderful examples of systematic theologians like Athanasius, uh, for example, who can say, unless this is the Son who's begotten from the Father from all eternity, he's not qualified to redeem us. Mm -hmm. So notice... Uh, Athanasius, he wants to affirm that very concrete biblical affirmation of redemption through Christ alone. But in order to do that, um, Athanasius has to uh, has to operate with a theological mindset that actually reflects and even contemplates God in and of himself. Who must this God be as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, to, for us to even talk about redemption in the first place. Mm. Um, John Webster uh, was was quite um, helpful, I think, on this point. You know, in his day, he uh, saw in many universities how theology uh, in, in many ways was sidelined, or it always had to be supplemented, theology and uh, politics, theology and ethics. Uh, it, the list just goes on. And John Webster made a great contribution, and, and I think we're all indebted to him because he said, whatever happened to theology as theology? <laughs> uh, in other words, even the word itself gets at, who is God? Shouldn't that be first and foremost what we are addressing, and then all things in relation to God? And I think he was right to say then, if we, if we understand who God is, that's the very core of what theology is about then things start to fall into place when we talk about, well, what is happening in history with redemption? Or what is the church? Or is there, a, is there an ultimate destination and an eschaton? And what does that involve? Um, without theology, though, none of that is possible in the end. Right. So it sounds like it, this is probably an oversimplification. And please tell me it is or that it's totally stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm fine to, to hear that. <laughs> but it sounds like that... 
what you've said, at least in part, is that when we're looking at what's called biblical theology, and there are two kinds of biblical theology in, in my experience. There's, there's an, an, sure. In the academic world, they mean something a little bit different when they talk about biblical theology versus the biblical theology that most of us are familiar with. But it sounds like what you're saying, it sounds to me like what you were saying in, in some ways was biblical theology is dealing with the, 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 the themes and the stories that run throughout scripture, uh, you know, really culminating in, in Christ. And that systematic theology is dealing with doctrines and details um, more so uh, in, a, in a categorical way. Is, is, is that fair to say or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think Joe, what you're getting at there is is you're starting to peel back layers of the onion, right? Because and, and we see this even the Westminster Confession that we also see it in our Baptist tradition with um, the Second London Baptist Confession, when e- even how their their the systematic theologian is trying to read scripture. They're trying to do so. You remember that phrase where it says some things are explicitly set down. In the scriptures and other things are deduced by good and necessary consequence right it's that latter phrase not that the first part isn't relevant to systematics it is but it's that latter phrase that often helps people understand oh that is necessary hmm. because there are many questions that the bible does not address and that's okay we don't have to panic <laughs> we don't need to treat the bible as if it's a manual for every detail and every po- possible question um but i think what the confession is after there is we have to have systematic theology in order to deduce the answers to those good and necessary consequences from the biblical text now i think what i'm saying is when you look back at the great tradition and and one of my favorites is uh anselm um the the medieval scholastic theologian um what do you see? I think the way that they are approaching theology is uh, out of a certain vein. Uh, and just to give an example of this, uh, David in the Psalms. Here is David. Uh, what, is he, what does he want more than anything? What does he see as, as the essence of his life now, but also uh, the culmination of, of true fulfillment and happiness and in God? And David says... I, I want one thing. Um, this is my passion. I want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord forever. And he goes on to elaborate to say, I want to, I want to dwell in his temple. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's getting at the heart of it. So when we talk about, when we use phrases like, we want a theological theology, it, it's both beginning with that driving motive I want, and, and maybe the, a word that would help us here is contemplation. Um, we want to contemplate. We want to gaze. Uh, Thomas Aquinas used the phrase, uh, and this is very Davidic in the way that David uses it in the Psalms. We want a simple, undistracted gaze at the beauty of the mm-hmm. Lord. I think that has to be primary. And so that's why when I do systematic theology, I use that word contemplation right out of the gate to make it very clear this is what we are after. And it's not just now, but it's in the future as well. Because when we ask, well, uh, 
what is the, the ultimate purpose we are after with our systematic theology. It's not merely information. Right. <laughs> and that's where I think sometimes systematic theologies can give that impression. Oh, we just collect the data and then we just somehow arrive at certain conclusions. Uh, no, actually, um, as we are contemplating God now, we are doing so knowing that one day it will it will come to it, it, the fullness of, the, of its culmination in the beatific vision itself, which is why when you get to say First John three, John can say, uh, "We will see him, and we will be like him." And if you keep reading the very next verse or two, he then says, "Okay, let's get to work now and be holy." <laughs> yeah. Um, so. That sets things in motion, doesn't it? For, that sets the agenda, I think, for systematic theology to say, uh, well, if contemplating God is, this pro- is so primary, then it not only defines the task of the theologian now, but it actually defines and, and uh, gives the church hope now for the future to realize that's actually what we will be doing for all eternity, yeah. and that is where we will find um, as Anselm said, we will find uh, the greatest joy and satisfaction is in knowing knowing God himself. Now, you know, how we do systematic theology, well, then that has to sp- be spelled out. I love what Turton says uh, here. He's, um, he's, he's very open. You know, there's times when he will criticize Thomas Aquinas. Uh, but this is one of those points where he just is unembarrassed to, to quote or paraphrase Thomas Aquinas. And he essentially says... Um, what is theology? Well, theology is taught by God. Uh, uh, theology is of God, um, and theology leads to God, mm. right? So there you have it. Those three steps, uh, well, in the broadest sense, define our existence as Christians. But I think those are actually, I think Turton is right, those are actually appropriate for structuring what systematic theology is about mm. in, in the most ultimate sense. I have a I have a sense it's going to wind up in your systematic theology. <laughs> well, uh, Turton uh, is uh, is so full of wisdom when it comes to uh, systematic theology itself. But the idea of contemplation, yeah, uh, absolutely, and um, that brings up other things that um, we probably don't have time to talk about. But I wish we did participation. <laughs> this is this is this is so good. I I really actually would love to bring you back on to talk more about systematic theology because yeah. I have a, I have a bunch of other questions um, that I'd like to to hear you and I just want to hear you answer and I'd love to hear you just uh, expand more on it. Uh, but maybe we could end with this. Sure. Um, somebody wants to read. They want to start in on systematic theology. Uh, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of Baptist choices. Um, so. What what would you give somebody? What you know, if like an average person in the church, right? And um, and I know even that's going to vary from congregation to congregation. So uh, maybe that's that's not entirely fair. But what is an entry level introduction to systematic theology or a kind of systematic theology that you would recommend to church members? Hmm, that's really hard. Um, the reason this is so hard is because so many contemporary systematic theologies. Though there are many I love, um, they don't always connect uh, who God is, or what we might call just classical theism, to everything else, mm-hmm. like creation out of nothing, 
divine providence, even ethics. And then part of the issue there is, I think in contemporary systematic theologies, there's big gaps missing. When you look back at older systematic theologies, they're including entire chapters on things like ethics, for example. They're putting the pieces all together. Um, or they begin by talking about hermeneutics and what is the fourfold method. You just don't see that today. right? So all that, I, that's a lead up. To, to say to people out there, um, I think my encouragement to you would be to go back. Uh, I would I would recommend, say, Herman Bavink, for example. There's an abridged version, if someone's just meeting uh, Bavink here, there's an abridged version that uh, I think John Bolt has put together, and it's just called Reformed Dogmatics. It's one volume. There's a more popular version, maybe for churchgoers, called The, the uh, Wonderful or The Wondrous Works of God. Uh, that may be more accessible still. So that's, a, I think, I, I love Bavank, and I think that he would be a very helpful, faithful guide. If you want to go back further still, I mean, for our Baptist friends out there who who really want to, uh, you know, nerd up on this, I would say I can't recommend enough uh, John Gill. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you may struggle a little bit. I mean, he's obviously using a different type of uh, vocabulary. But once you get into those waters with him, I think you will find him to be a very faithful guide. In terms of contemporary uh, books and contemporary systematic theologies, um, I, I, I have respected and appreciated and I, I recommend um, Michael Horton. Um, he has written a fine systematic theology, the Christian faith. And then he's also written a smaller, more accessible um, book, uh, called Pilgrim Theology right. that um, I think you will find a, a very uh, accessible guide as well. So those are just a few. I could recommend so many more. I think if someone really wanted to dig in, um, I would recommend to them the Reformed Scholastics. And we're seeing some amazing uh, reprints and translations right now. Uh, Peter von Maastricht, for example, uh, his volumes on theology uh, those are starting to to come out, and it's exciting to see that. And then in a few years, Dr. Matthew Barrett's systematic theology. That's what we're Lord willing, right. Lord willing. Uh, please pray for me. Please pray for me because um, I, I really, honestly want it to uh, serve uh, serve God's people well and uh, honor God in the end. Well, listen, pray for uh, Dr. Barrett, and uh, go ahead and at him on Twitter. It's Matt. M. Barrett. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. At Matt M. Barrett. Go ahead. Tell him, uh, you know, tell him to kiss the Pope or whatever you got to tell him. Uh, <laughs> or more than like, really what you should be doing is thanking him and praying for him. Uh, but you know what? Yeah, he engages on Twitter. So uh, yeah, hit him up and uh, see what's going on there. Be sure to pick up uh, his books. Uh, the, the one that most people are familiar with is Simply Trinity. If you have not read that, pick it up. It's very important. We'll link to a bunch of this stuff in the show notes. Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll, we'd will we love to have you back on again when, you're, when your schedule allows, and we'll talk more about systematic theology. It's been great, Joe, as always. Thank you for your ministry. Well, for everybody else, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We, uh, you know, we have got our podcast dropping every Monday and Thursday. And if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe to All Access. That gives you theological meditations Monday through Friday and the Banter of Truth podcast, where Jimmy and I are just chopping it up and having a good time. You can follow us online at Doc and Devo for Twitter and Instagram, or you can hit the website, doctrineanddevotion.com. Check us out there. Thanks a lot, guys. Mm-hmm.